Good morning. I promised myself that I wasn't going to make a comment about the weather, but I can't hold back. It's awful, and I'm really impressed that so many of you are here. So the snow kind of caught me off guard. I don't know how much you guys are paying attention to the forecast, but um, I, I thought we would have an empty room, and I'm just really impressed that it is not the case. My name's Emily. I'm part of the charitable giving team here at Friends Church, um, and I just wanted to bring your attention to a couple things today. Um, first of all, after the service, we have our discussion group in the library here, just down the hallway. Um, like Kyla mentioned, you may... Um, I don't know, have a different reaction to this uh, message, the things we're talking about, the way it interacts with where you're at and your life, and we want to give you a place where you can um, talk about that, where you can kind of process through uh, how this is landing for you. And so we would love for you to join us at discussion group just right after the service today in the library, like I mentioned. Um, if you are new to Friends Church, you've probably got some questions. You're probably, you know, maybe this is your first time sitting here wondering, what the heck? is going on in this place, right? Um, and we would like to make sure that you have all the info that you have can to make sure that you feel connected to our community. Um, we do have a weekly newsletter that we email out, um, and we would love for you to be in on that communication so that you can know what's going on, what's coming up, all the different things that we're offering. If you go to see the welcome table just in the foyer afterwards, um, we will have somebody there to help you sign up for that newsletter and kind of get uh, in the loop. The last thing that I want to mention is just a big thank you. Um, we are entirely funded here on the generosity of the people that call this place home. And we thank you for giving. You have a number of different ways to give. I know people here um, sometimes do a pre-authorized giving, so you are regularly contributing to our ability to plan um, and know what's coming, and we really appreciate that. If you are somebody who is a one-time giver, we love that as well. Um, we love that you um, care enough about what we do that you want to contribute. That's really what it comes down to. So if that's you today and you're feeling like um, you would like to, to give to Friends Church to help keep going, what, keep this going, um, you can give online, you can give um, at the black box at the back of the room, or we do have a giving option in our app as well. So thank you for being with us, thank you for supporting us, and we hope to see you at the discussion group after. Thanks, Emily. I don't know how to transition then, so we're going to go into the dark side first. It's going to come later, but is there evil in this world? I started my thinking about this message there going, like, is there truly evil? <clears throat> Excuse me, when I was in university at Edmonton, uh, I worked at a place called Rosie's Bar and Grill, three blocks from my house. I could work after school, work till two in the morning. I was the prep cook and we had a dishwasher and the dishwasher, the new dishwasher came in a little bit weird, kind of, do you know what I mean when I say bad energy, kind of like a dark energy? But he was connected to one of the cooks who was a fantastic, charming guy. Everyone loved him. And so he got brought along to everything else. We started going out for beers after. He'd come with. One night I had to go home. I don't remember why, but um, he went out to the Purple Onion, famous dive bar in Edmonton. And they were playing darts. I heard the next day they were playing darts. And he lost. The dishwasher lost. And they found him a couple 
a little while later in the hallway in the basement by the bathroom, stabbing himself in the stomach with those, the dart that he lost with. Like, okay. A couple months later, he had left. <clears throat> I'd asked his buddy, hey, where's so-and-so? And he kind of dodged the question. I was like, well, Nick, where's the dishwasher? It's like, um, he's in a mental institute for people who are criminally insane. You see, in the time when I knew him, he killed a woman, put her body in a suitcase, and hid that suitcase in the River Valley in Edmonton. I can just feel that. I went to online to search to see if I had all the details right in my head, so I searched Edmonton suitcase murder. I read for an hour different murders that were connected to a suitcase in Edmonton. I never got to the story of the guy I used to work with. Is there evil in this world? I don't often say many things in an absolute way, but I feel like I can say it this way. There is evil in this world. And we've been struggling with evil for as long as we have writing. Let me take a step back from that horrible story. We'll come back, but it won't be quite as dark. <clears throat> There's this story that people use to analyze this conception of evil. <laughs> it's not much brighter. It's called the drowning child story. The story goes like this. It's not a real story, so don't feel there's no connection to anything real. But imagine a pool of water about thigh deep. And you're standing on the edge of the pool one day, chilling, I don't know, having a coffee, reading a book, I don't know. And you hear a kid fall into the pool. Now the kid is so small that they can't touch the bottom and they can't swim. So the, the thought experiment asks you this question. What do you do? Yeah, you jump in the water and you go get him. I was talking to my coach. He's like, I actually did that. Saw a kid fall into water, dove in, got the kid. Okay, but then the story evolves one step. It says, okay, same thing. You're standing on the edge of the pool, um, minding your own business, but you have a great pair of shoes on. Like expensive shoes, like your favorite shoes. The shoes you just love, and they're like expensive and... You know, going in the water is going to wreck them. So, expensive shoes. You're standing on the edge of the pool. A child falls in. What do you do? <laughs> is there any more? <laughs> Take your shoes off. <laughs> hold on. Just hold your breath for a few more minutes. I just got to untie my shoes here. <laughs> and my pants. They're good pants, too. Hold on. Just don't, don't drown yet. <laughs> is there any morally justifiable reason to not go save that kid. Is there any? I just heard a yes over here. We're going to put him on the spot. Everyone? <laughs> Your answer? Ah. So there's no reason to, you can justifiably not save a kid, 
but there might be an additional scenario where there's so many kids you have to triage. Is that what I'm hearing? Anyone who does triage, any nurse, healthcare professional, any of those people, like, God bless you. That is a tough gig. But is there any reason if you have a single child, thank you, there's a single child, falls into the pool, you're not in any way harmed by going to get them other than you'll ruin your shoes. Is there any morally justifiable reason for you to not go and get that kid? Okay. The story goes one step further. Conceive of a super being. A being who has the power to do anything in the universe. Anything. And imagine one of us has fallen into the pool and we're drowning. And that super being could save us. Well within their power. Easy peasy. But they let us die. And what if I called that super being God? What do you do with that? All the way through, we said there's no morally justifiable reason to let the child die. But we have these scenarios where a super being could have stopped that dishwasher from doing that horrible thing, but didn't. You feel the squirmy feeling we're all feeling right now? Yeah. The problem of evil in this world is tricky. It's not just this theoretical problem. Hey, Vince, there's a drowning kid, blah, 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 right? No, it's real life. It's my child gets sick, and if I conceive of a super being that could take care of that and doesn't, what the heck do I do with that? The number of people who've come to me over the years who said, Vince, this happened. I don't know what to do anymore. My kid got sick. You know, the person who is the nicest person in the world, they just got in a car accident. Like, what do you do with these things and conceive of a God that could actually fix this and doesn't? What do you do with that? The problem of evil is actually even worse for our tradition. The Abrahamic traditions, you know, Jews, Islam, Christians, we all came from the same story of Abraham. Monotheism is kind of that tradition. Mono being one, theism, God, one God. You see, in monotheism, it's really tricky. In, uh, let me say it this way. Anyone know the Thor universe? You know the Thor com or, uh, movies, right? Uh, I'm not a super big fan, but let me get, see if I got this straight. <laughs> Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> there's this kind of divine realm where these people live, and there's the, the main god's name is Odin, played by Anthony Hopkins. His wife is also a god, and then we have like Thor and blah, 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 and Loki. It's called the pantheon of gods. Polytheism, more than one god. Most religions through history are polytheistic. Polytheistic religions are wicked in dealing with the problem of evil. Here's how it works. Odin, the all-father who could technically stop all bad things. Yeah, we'll give it that. He's sitting in his throne one day when the frost giants come and steal some very powerful thing in the basement. And then all hell ensues, right? Things go bad and blah, blah, blah. But what we find out very quickly is it's not that the frost giants showed up, it's what happens. Loki... One of the gods in the pantheon 
is kind of bad. So we have like mostly good gods. Odin's good, Thor's good, all these good, good, good. And then we have the bad gods. Loki, Hades, Moro, you know, all these different gods through the different pantheons. And they're the bad ones. So when you go, why did bad things happen? It's because the bad gods are distracting Odin. Polytheism. Don't you guys want to be polytheistics now? Bad things happen. Ah, stupid Loki. Constantly doing crap. And that's kind of how they play out the shows, right? It's like, oh, Loki. Always doing bad things. But through history, that's the solution to this problem of we have a pool and there's a super being standing there watching kids drowning and doing nothing. That's the problem we have. And polytheism solves it. Monotheism, no, it doesn't work at all. And in fact, it gets even uglier. Our tradition, when they ask the question right at the beginning, where does evil come from? They tell this story. There's a guy named Job. And Job is perfect. Like, perfect. Like, so perfect, you want to punch him in the face perfect. Like, that kind of perfect. Like, he's got money, he's got family, he's got, like, you know, he's just, everything. he does everything right, he never makes mistake. And the story is set up this way, and it's a story, set up this way that we're looking at Job, and up in the divine realm, there's a super being with a bunch of cronies. And one of the cohort in that crony says to God, so do you think Job would be like good if you didn't make his life so easy? That's all he says. And here's what they believe happens. Now this is through their conception of God. Their conception of God says, huh, that's a good question. Why don't you kill all his children, take all of his money, take everything he has, make him so sick that he's almost dying, but don't quite kill him. And so that character goes and does that. Where does evil come from? In their conception, God. That's troubling, isn't it? Bad things happen. God did it. You get cancer. God's mad at you. Something goes wrong in your life. That's God. Anything evil, God. That suitcase murderer that I went to work with, God sent him to do that. Does anyone find that a little bit uncomfortable? I can go a little softer, you know. Have you ever had bad things that have taught you good lessons? Right, adversity. My dad, I grew up, he was sick a lot. I learned how to live in the moment, live every day fully, because I'm like, hey, you never know when you're going to die. Went through a divorce. Taught me a ton about relationships. I still have a ton more to learn about how dysfunctional I am. (laughs) That'll take me a little while yet. (laughs) I learned from that, but... Can you conceive of a God or do you want to conceive of a super being that caused that dishwasher to murder that woman in that way? The Holocaust, 6.5 million Jews killed by a maniac. 
Stalin killed more. Mao, we think, killed even more than that. Can you conceive, do you even want to conceive of a God that sits around the pool as 6.5 million Jews are drowning and does nothing? That's troubling. Our spiritual ancestors lived that way for years. If you read the earliest stories, they're scared all the time. They're constantly scared. What's going to happen? What's God going to do to us? What's going to happen? What you know, calamity? Who's going to take us over? Who's going to murder us? They're thinking, but for them, it's, it's God's doing this. That's a solution for why there's evil in the world, because God brings it. And at some point, about 100 years before Jesus, we think about the evolution of all this history, about 100 years before Jesus happens, something shifts in the culture. We don't exactly know why, but we know part of it's hinged around this question of evil. And our spiritual ancestors, through maybe some other thinking, start to do this incredibly, incredibly powerful thing. And I've told you all of this to get to this piece. They change the story of God. They change their conception of God. They change the whole story of evil. Because right up until now, evil was just, well, God's mad. You probably did something bad. So now you're getting, you know, smite, smited, smote. What's the past tense of smite? Anyone know that? Smitten? Isn't that falling in love? <laughs> okay, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Past tense of smite. <laughs> i got to read my King James Bible more. Evil was God's mad. He's past tense smiting you. But then something shifted. They started to conceive of this story a little bit different. They said, wait a second. What if... What if evil doesn't come from God? That, for me, is like, well, duh. I want to believe in a conception of God that's all loving, so of course. But for them, this was the first time. They were like, you know, I'm sure the first person said it was like, you're a heretic, how dare you not say evil comes from God? But they slowly started to pull this apart, and they created a story where there's this fight between good and evil. They called it apocalypticism. How's that for a good word for today, huh? Apocalypticism. You know what apocalypse is, right? A thing at the end where all hell breaks loose. Apocalypticism is the belief that we're in a world where good and evil are fighting. And there's this battle royale, but right now, evil's winning. And that's why we have these bad things happen. But at some point in the future, and Jesus thought it was going to happen within their lifetime. At some point in the future, there's going to be a battle royale. God's going to kick ass, take out evil, and we're going to live together, and it's all going to be beautiful. And that's the beginning of the afterlife. Now, the creative writing types got this conception in their head and went crazy with it. There's a book that's written kind of in that era called Enoch. It's not part of the Bible. It has this whole story about angels and devils and how it's all going to work. And suddenly we have this whole thing. We call it angelology and demonology. It's all creative writing based around this idea that the reason we have evil 
is because there's this force that's not God, but it's not us. And that force is causing all the problems. That's the Loki, right? Distracting Odin all the time. Hey, look over here, Odin. There's no kid drowning over there. Come on, look over here. You have this force. And in different traditions, this force is named something. Let's go back to Job. Remember I told you there was part of the, the super, or I don't even know what you call them, God's cronies? I think that's what I called them. One of the cronies has a name. The name is Hasetan. And it's used consistently through the Bible. But if you take out Ha, Ha is the definite article, the, and I slow it down, Hasetan. It's a Hebrew word for somebody who either kind of gives you the devil's advocate position or gets in the way of something. But we made it a name. And now that evil force that's winning against the, the forces of good in the world, in some traditions we named it Satan, the devil. That story in Enoch talks about an angel called Lucifer. He, depending on the story, he's, either, he's pissed at God for some reason. We're not quite sure what. It's either because God wants him to bow to to Jesus, and he's having none of it, or God wants him to bow to creation after the first day, he's having none of it, or there's a few other traditions, but all in all, not happy. So he rebels against God, third of the angels, they become the demons. Again, creative writing types, you give them just like the smallest little idea, they go crazy with it. And to be honest, it's really interesting to listen to what they write. Jesus' time takes this apocalyptic view Evil is here because the battle royal between good and evil are happening. They read it backwards into Job. Ha, ha, Satan. Ah, that's, that's the devil. That's what's causing all this. They even go further back. Adam and Eve. Remember, they're in the garden. Who tempts them? The snake. Well, the snake tempts them. That sounds a lot like a ha, satan kind of thing. Devil! And they start reading things backwards. Now, here's the f- interesting thing. When they split evil out of God, their conception of God, even when they named it, that's where the devil and loose for all comes. It explained their lives. Why do we do bad things? Why are bad things in the world? Why do we get sick? Why are people mean to us? It answers all of that. Now the conception was, at some point, God's gonna come into the world, good's gonna come in, good. In their minds, good was gonna beat evil, which means health is gonna beat sickness. Light was gonna beat dark. And life was gonna beat death. Any of you right now are looking through the New Testament stories and going, oh, wait a second. That's why there's this talk about resurrection. Death is conquered. That means it's the beginning of the end. This is going to finally flip over. We're going to get the afterlife. It's going to be good. Evil's going down. 
The devil is gonna get thrown down. There's even a story, Revelation talks about this whole drama of the angel Michael on the side of good and the devil who's a dragon on the side of bad and they have this battle and blah, 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 blah. A whole bunch of innuendo and symbolism. Long story short, evil dies, good wins. Creative writing, beautiful. Now why does this matter to us? Now you're going, okay, I get where the devil comes from. I get where these stories come from. I get it. But frankly, who cares? And that's where I want to apply a psychological hermeneutic. Remember, you guys? I did my master's degree in hermeneutics, so you guys always have to hear that word. It's just the way it works. It means that we're going to ask psychological questions of all the stuff I just told you. We're going to ask, what does it mean to be a human through this story? Or what can we learn about being human from the story? And that's where our spiritual ancestors did something that we only learned thousands of years later. We have a name for it now. But when they did it, we didn't even know what it was. And it comes from a friend. A friend of mine, he's a self-identified addict. He had a really tough childhood. His family and him did not connect really well. And so... At some point, he, used, he had a coping strategy to deal with it, and at some point, that coping strategy kind of went south on him. And it's no longer helping, and now he just can't stop. His life has been significantly impacted by his addiction. But he has a name for his addict. He calls him Edgar. It's like, oh man, Edgar, he's all up in my grill right now. Like, he's just not, top. like, just shut up, Edgar. What he's done is he's externalized a part of him. That's what our spiritual ancestors did to God. They took a conception of a super being and they externalized a portion of it. There's this evil side and I'm going to pull it out of my conception of God and hold it here. And we can do that too. That's what my friend did with his addiction. What externalization does that's beautiful is it lets you feel a little bit separate from it. It's not me. It's, it's my addiction. It's Edgar. I have, a, I have one called an island. Remember Stan Tatkin attachment theory? When I'm under stress, when I'm not taking good care of myself, I tend to want to pull away from people. I want to go onto an island by myself and just be by myself. So when that part of me is talking in my ear, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's my island. Anyone have like a naggy voice in their head that tells them they're not enough? Anyone have that voice of their family or their teacher? Someone told me a story about their teacher. It was like, the guy said to the guy, you will never amount to anything. He's now a multimillionaire. I was like, did you go back and buy that teacher's house or something? Like, just be like, screw you, dude. But in his mind, that voice can either be him I will never amount to anything. Or he can do what our spiritual ancestors did and externalize it. Oh, that's the voice of my teacher. That's the voice of my mom. That's the voice of my stress. That's the voice of the culture. That's the voice of social media. What part of you needs to be externalized today? 
What part, if you could pull out, just like our spiritual ancestors did, yes, there's God, but no, no, we're going to pull this part out and hold it separate. The part that says I'm not enough. The monkey brain that doesn't want to stop. Oh, yeah, there's that monkey brain again. The critical part of you. When you hold it separate, it's different how you can interact with it, isn't it? Oh, there's my island again. It's not me. It's my island. My island's like, Vince, you need to be by yourself, dude. You need to get away from people right now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see you're freaking out. Huh. That's interesting. Do you see how separate you are? My friend with his addiction, Edgar. Edgar's over here going, you dude, you gotta do whatever your addiction is. I'll leave his addictions to him. You gotta do this thing. And meanwhile, his brain's going, wow, it's been dark the last couple days. I've been feeling a little bit down. Oh, no wonder your voice is pretty loud today. Huh. When you can externalize part of that, in the old, we would have said, the devil is talking to me. It's just an externalization. It's not me. It's separate from me. And so I can see it and interact with it. And I can actually love me while seeing this evil. Do you see the beauty of what they did? Now normally we could just leave it there and say, the learning today is what can you externalize to connect to yourself again, to not let these influences change everything and guide you and force you to do things. No, 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 that's separate from me. That's the voice of that teacher telling me I'll never amount to anything. No. We could leave it here and it'd be beautiful. But Friend Church is about inspiring you to make the world around you better too. As I was telling my friend, you know, the Edgar friend, we're, we're talking about this message. The, the reality is, if you're going to hang out with me before a message, at some point I'm going to find a way to sneak my message into our conversation. <laughs> yeah, my running partners are over here going, yeah, every time. So I was talking with him and I said, hey, I got this message and it's this thing called externalization. He's like, oh, what's that? And I was like, and I don't know why I did this, but I was like, I want you to imagine your dad. I think he was just having a bad time. I said, imagine your dad. Think of all the bad crap he's done to you over the years. All the time he's missed you. All the time he's been mean to you. All the time he said stuff that's been hurtful. All that stuff. Okay, just picture him in your head. Now, I know he had a crap upbringing. Like, his mom was just brutal. I want you to just take his mom and all of his childhood, and I want you to tear it out of your dad and put it aside. We're going to call it Edgar too. And it's funny, I kept talking. And all of a sudden he's like, hey, Vin, shut up. We're on the phone. He's like, I just need to sit with that for a minute. My dad has always been a monster to me. And just you saying that, externalizing that part of his life... I see this little boy who's just trying to do better than he was, his mom did with him. 
and I can feel for him again. I can see him as a human again. That's what our spiritual ancestors can teach us today. Think of the people in your life. Think of your partner. They snap at you. Use that tone. You can go with, how dare you say that to me? Or you can use this lesson, externalize it. Wait a second, what are they going through? Oh yeah, they're pretty stressed right now. What if, what if we pulled that stress out of them? <laughs> we'll give it a name. The asshole boss. Their asshole boss. is riding them all the time. Maybe their sick father. And now what we're saying is not my partner snapped at me. No, no, no. Their sick father. And the stress is what snapped at me. And you can maintain love. Because you can see your partner as not that. That's not them. That's not the sum total of them. I've been talking to a lot of parents lately. And I don't know what this is, but teenage boys. Does anyone have teenage boys? Are they sometimes a bit of, like, problematic? Maybe a little disrespectful? Maybe a little, like, no? A little bit? <laughs> I can see some of you inside going, like, holy crap. What if you... What if you externalize that out of your child. I have my teenage son who I love deeply and who loves me, but then there's this like monster we're going to call teenage son, and we're going to pull that out and put it over here. And that's what's saying horrible things to me, but they're still my son. And I can love my son. I don't have to love that part. That's horrible. They're disrespectful, mouthy, you know, you name it. If we're willing, we can use this. I'm going to change my language once more. If we can see the demons inside of us and hold them as separate, and if we're willing, I'm going to get the band to come up while I finish this. If we're willing, we can look at the people in our lives who've done hurtful things to us, who continue to do hurtful things, and we can externalize parts of that, hold it as separate, see the human still, and see this other part. There's that, you know, whatever. We can just externalize anything. There's that guy, that power-hungry person, that narcissist, that island, that wave, that boss, that addict. And we can make the choice to see that it's separate from the person that we love. It doesn't make it go away. The painful things are still there, but it feels different than if we say, no, 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 that is them. I don't know if you picked it up, but the band played a song at the beginning. Look inside and see the demons inside of us. The demons inside of me and the demons inside of the people around me. I don't know if demons exist. I don't know if the devil exists. I don't know if angels are a thing. I've never met any, but you know, they might have been around the corner when I went that way. They were over there, who knows? I don't know. 
but I do know that I have demons inside. There's a pretty good chance you guys have demons inside too. And if I have demons inside and you have demons inside, then everyone interacting with us, chances are they have demons that they're dealing with too. And now we have a way to interact with them, if we're willing. Don't get too close. Uh, how does it say? It's dark inside. It's where my demons hide. It's where my demons hide. When I call them demons, I can hold them separate. I'm still a person who's trying to do the best he can in the world, and I have demons. And so do you. And if we have compassion, if we have the love, we can see this in the eyes of the people around us and go, hey, I know you're kind of being a jerk right now. Hey, I don't like that. But I can see the demons. And they're talking loud to you right now. I'm going to choose to see the human underneath it all. My coach had a beautiful question he gave me. Can you throw it up for me, Annie? It says, next time something happens, maybe I didn't put it in my notes. <laughs> I do that. Hey, there we go. This is what I want to leave you with. The next time whatever happens, that voice pops into my head, that negative tone, whatever, it's in me, it's in the people around me. What are we going to do? What can we do? We can follow the tradition that we grew up in, externalize the evil, and see and love the human inside, if we're willing. That's what I want to leave you with today. Not whether the devil exists, you now know where that came from, but the beauty, the beauty of conceiving of it externalized. To me, that was an evolution in thought that has changed everything. Have a great week, everybody. Next week, Jeff's going to come back talking about heaven and all of that. If you want to talk about this a bit more, the discussion group is after right in the library. Go and share your thoughts. Play with everyone else. It'll be good. Have a great week, everyone. See you.